Well, as I was thinking about the message this morning, I was thinking about this age that we live in and the different ways that people have tried to describe it. I remember preaching a message entitled The Me Generation, for example, and uh, uh, I wrote an article, I think, about the selfie generation, and there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but whenever you read what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm convinced that we could call this the age of deception or the age of degradation. We could call it the age of distraction. He said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But regardless of how you look at it, there's always something trying to uh, draw us away from that which is the most important. In other words, there's always something that would have us to major on minors, to distract us from the most important thing in life. It might be something that is sinful because in this wicked world that we live in, it's so easy to get distracted. And as long as we're in these bodies of flesh, we're going to be tempted to do that which is displeasing to God. There's none of us that are able to live perfectly, as it were, above sin. And so it might be some sin in your life that distracts you from what is most important in life. But it might be something that is sinless that distracts you because sometimes our attention gets diverted due to the, uh, the activities or the attractions that, that are not necessarily in and of themselves sinful. And, uh, you know, we feel justified in what we're doing because we don't see any harm in it. There's no verse that condemns it. And so what happens is we allow something that is considered to be innocent something that is not sinful to become sinful in that it distracts us from what we ought to be doing. It might be a hobby. It, it might be uh, your vocation. It can be uh, a number of different things, but it's something that is sinless that gets in the way of us having our attention focused on what is really most important in life. We don't see a law against it, so we feel that it's all right to do it, and yet it provides us a distraction from what we ought to be doing. It might be that it's something that is serious. You know, when it comes to things like the condition of our country, the corruption and the crime, all the political problems and things like that, it's really hard to not jump in with both feet and get involved and certainly there needs to be changes made in our country today. We, uh, we've got a terrible mess in our society, and it needs to be changed. But the fact of the matter is, we know from what the Bible says that it's going to get worse and worse, and we are limited in what we can do, and we're never at liberty to desert our duties in order to try to improve the world that we live in because we're not going to be able to create some sort of a utopia that makes everybody happy. And our mission is clearly defined in the Word of God by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So we can't afford even to let these serious things distract us 
from the most important thing. It might be something that's not only serious, it might be something that is, well, sensational, at least in our mind. And this is where it really gets tough because it could apply to a lot of things, but I want to narrow it down this morning as it relates to my message. And forgive me for such a long introduction. We'll get to the text in a, in a few minutes, but it's important that we lay this foundation for our thoughts this morning. And uh, as a pastor, I wish there was some way, and I know Brother Kenneth feels exactly the same way as every pastor does, you wish there was some way that people could understand the struggle that preachers go through in trying to decide exactly what it is that they they ought to preach. The great famous Charles Haddon Spurgeon once made the statement that the most difficult thing about preaching was trying to decide what text to preach from. And if a man like that had difficulty with it, all preachers can expect that it's going to be difficult. It's not as simple as it might seem because I could just open the Bible anywhere from Genesis to Revelation and preach the Word of God. What I was preaching would be the truth. But I need to make sure that what I'm preaching is not based on my personal preference and by the way, we're just human. There are sometimes we preachers get it wrong. And we preach something because that's our preference. That's what we want to preach about. That's what we want to talk about on a particular day. It might be popular opinion. In other words, it's not our personal preference, but popular opinion dictates to us what particular sermon we might preach. We you know, we sometimes we know, well, that's what they want to hear. That's what they need to hear. And so consequently, we develop a message along those lines. And, and it distracts us from what we should be preaching. And so we can't allow those things to crowd out the main thing, even when it comes to important doctrines of the Bible. I can, I can think of a number of things that that desperately need to be taught. And this is one reason I encourage Christians, every Christian ought to have a time of personal daily Bible study. Because even if you attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night, there's no way that you can possibly get all of the spiritual nourishment that you need. I think of all of the different issues that, that we could... Uh, that we could talk about. I'm talking about important things, whether it's the doctrine of the church or whether it's eternal security and all of these other issues that we could talk about. And just preaching that which is right does not mean that's the right thing that should be for that particular time because something wonderful, some wonderful doctrine can possibly crowd out the most wonderful thing in all of the world and that of course is the Lord Jesus Christ because nothing is more important than Christ and by that I'm talking about his person who he is his attributes I'm talking about not only who he is but what he does and the older I get the more I realize that I have less time now than I've ever had before and that makes it even more important to me that I get it right. So 
If you think that I just maybe flip a coin and decide what I'm going to preach, you're wrong. As one preacher years ago, and I'll, I'll never forget, uh, uh, his name was Billy Kelly, and probably Brother Scott knew Billy, and Billy would get up on the platform before a service, and he had a whole stack of sermons, and he would go thumbing through there, and he would look at it, and this is while the service was going on, and he'd look out at the congregation and hold it up like, well, you want this one or you want that one, you know? Well, it doesn't make any difference what people want. It's what does God want. That, that is all that matters. Now, I've taken a lot of time this morning getting to my text. And when I read it, I think you'll understand why uh, I've taken this time. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 11 in fact, I'm not even going to read the entire verse because the text consists of just three words, one simple phrase, but I promise you, you'll never read anything more important than these three words. Christ is all. Christ is all. If that ever really finds lodging in your heart and, and you come to an understanding of all that is implied by that, you will agree there couldn't be any subject, anything more important than that. It tells us that Christ matters most. In other words, that Christ is at the top of the list. He's first in order that he is above all others. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked one of the most important questions ever. He said, what think ye of Christ? And let me tell you, your answer matters for time and for all of eternity. Because without any doubt, Christ is the most controversial person who has ever lived. If you, if you took a survey, a worldwide survey about the Lord Jesus Christ, you would find a lot of different opinions. For some, Christ is a nobody. Nobody. It's like the prophet said, they will see no beauty in him causing them to desire him. In other words, he's not at all in their thoughts. He's hated and despised. And if he was walking upon this earth today, there are those who would still crucify him. In fact, I saw that last week somewhere on Facebook during one of the the riots or protests, whatever you want to call it, and someone had a shirt on with words to that effect, their desire to crucify Christ. Believe me when I say that for a lot of people, Christ is a nobody. But for some, Christ is a someone. They will admit that He existed, but they really don't see anything special in Him to to them, he, he's just another man. They'll admit he's a part of history, you know. He's just a man like everyone. He's someone. And then others say, well, he's more than someone. Others would say that he is a somebody. In other words, they look at him as being a famous teacher. They might even admit to the fact that he is a miracle worker. 
They might uh, laud him as being the founder of a religion. In other words, these are the people that would put him on the who's who's list. They, they might even praise him for the things that he did, all of the kindness that he showed to others. In other words, it's as though he has made the all-star team. He is somebody, not just someone. He's not a nobody, not someone, but he's a somebody. He's famous. He did something of note in this world. For others, Christ is a special gift from God. They, they might even claim that they love Him, that they follow Him, and yet uh, they really don't even know Him at all. He's, he's a special gift from God, like, well, they, they would say, like, well, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or, you know, whatever, a special gift from God and, and so forth. But, but they really don't know Him for who He really is. But for Paul, he's not just a nobody, a someone, a somebody, or not just a special gift from God. He is supreme. In other words, he says Christ is all. He's the very essence, the very substance of Christianity. He is the foundation of our faith. He is the Lord of our life. He's the only way to worship. He's more than words can describe. Christ is all, he says. Christ is all. Now we can apply that to a lot of different things. When we say that Christ is all, we can say that Christ is all in the Word of God. And, and I mention this because I want you to know that I'm not just giving you my opinion this morning. In fact, I'm not even giving you Paul's opinion. Paul simply recorded what God said. And isn't that what really matters the most? God said, Christ is all. Write it down, Paul. Tell others about it. Let them know, regardless of what they think, Christ is all. The same God the Father who said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, says Christ is all. Whenever you consider John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Whenever you read that and you think about it, that Christ there is depicted as the Word. If He is the Word, you can expect Him to be at the very heart, the very center, the very theme of the Bible. That is the written Word. You remember that Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then Luke tells us over in Acts chapter number 10, to him, that is to Christ, to him give all of the prophets witness. All of the prophets and the Bible tells us that God has had His prophets here from the very beginning. That would include Adam, who was a prophet of God, all the way through time. God has always had those that speak on His behalf, and they have all, in every age and every situation, given witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, we find... And we see something of Christ in every book of the Bible. 
the famous preacher many years ago by the name of J.C. Riley said, in every part of both testaments, Christ is to be found dimly and indistinctly at the beginning, more clearly and plainly in the middle, fully and completely at the end, but really and substantially everywhere. And he was right. And let me tell you, folks, listen, understanding this is the key to understanding the Bible. Christ is the key that unlocks the storehouse of all of the rich treasures of truth because in Him, in Him we see the, the shadows and the types, the prophecies and the promises throughout all of the Word of God. When you look back to the Old Testament and you think about those sacrifices, you think about the tabernacle itself and every article of furniture, every bit of the material that went into the construction, every single item in some way foreshadowed the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't hesitate when I say that the Word of God is all about the Word of God because Jesus is the word Christ is all he's all in your Bible Amen. probably 50 some years ago I ran across a, a poem by by an unknown author that I that I copied it down in my Bible and here's what he said I see my Lord in the Bible whenever I chance to look he is the theme of the Bible the center and heart of the book He's the rose of Sharon, the lily fair. Whenever I open my Bible, the Lord of the Bible is there. He in the book's beginning gave the earth its form. He's the ark of safety to bear the brunt of the storm. The burning bush in the desert, the budding of Aaron's rod. Whenever I open the Bible, I see the Son of God. The lamb on Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky. The scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high. The smitten rock of the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook. The face of my Lord I discover whenever I open the book. He's the seed of the woman, the Savior, virgin born. He's the son of David, whom men rejected with scorn. The Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw. The light of the celestial city, the lamb without spot or flaw. The bridegroom coming at midnight, for whom his people look. Whenever I open the Bible, I see my Lord in the book. Let me tell you, folks, if you will keep that in mind, you'll never think of God's Word the same way again. I'll guarantee you that Bible study will never be boring again if you look and see the Lord Jesus Christ in every part of the Bible. He's there. He's the author of it. He is the Word of God and the theme of the Bible that you hold in your hand. Christ is all. As related to the Word of God. Not only that, Christ is all when it comes to the works of God. Over in Romans chapter 11 and verse 36, it says, For of Him, and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Whoever said history is his story got it right. But his story goes back before history ever began. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God before history began. So we see that Christ is all when it comes to the when it comes to the works of God, that is the divine design and the decrees of God before creation. You go back before time, before creation, when there's no universe, there's no world, there's no angels, there's no men, a time when the triune God existed alone, and there you discover Christ is all. He existed throughout eternity, even before creation. The Godhead was meeting in council as it were, and there they were planning and preparing for things to come. You can't surprise God. Some people have wondered about why God would allow man to fall, why God would allow man to sin. And they act as though that the plan of salvation is some sort of an emergency plan that God had to enact because maybe, well, Things got out of control. No, listen, God knew from the very beginning. In fact, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. It was all planned out. Christ was all, even back then when there was nothing else. But not only that, we see Him all in creation itself. Christ is all. We look in chapter 1 and verse 16. Of Colossians, and here Paul is very clear about this. He says in verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Christ is all when it comes to creation. All of this nonsense about Evolution is just that. It's nonsense. It was all created, but notice, it was all created by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, the one who walked upon the dusty trails of Galilee, that sailed upon the sea, that healed the leper, raised the dead. The same one created this world. So we see Him, Christ is all in the works of God before creation, during creation, and certainly we see Christ is all in regards to salvation. Christ is all. The Bible's clear about that. There's another name given among men whereby we must be saved. In every aspect of your salvation, Christ is all. That is from the beginning to the very end, when finally we'll be glorified and changed into His likeness, Christ is all. Salvation is entirely a work of God. And Paul explains that in Ephesians chapter number 1. He tells us in verse 6 that we are made accepted in the Beloved, that is in Christ. God's willing to accept us. When I say us, I'm talking about vile, sinful, filthy human beings and God accepts us because of him but God goes on and God explains in the first six verses that our salvation was planned by the father beginning in verse 7 he tells us that it was purchased by the son and verse 13 provided by the quickening the life-giving power of the holy spirit 
And so here when you consider what the Father said about the Son and you consider the work of the Spirit in regards to the Son, which is to glorify Christ, you have to conclude Christ is all regarding your salvation. Christ is all. He's not one way to heaven. He's not some way to heaven. He is the only way to forgiveness, the only way to heaven. Paul, I think, summed it up very aptly over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 30 and 31. He tells us that Christ is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And then he adds, he that glorieth. Let him glory in the Lord. That is, if we have anything to boast about, that we are to boast in the Lord. Why? Because Christ is all in regards to our salvation. None of us, none of us contributed anything whatsoever toward our salvation. Salvation is a precious gift provided by the sacrifice of Christ. And all we can do is accept it, is to receive it. We either receive it or we reject it, but we don't do anything to gain it. Christ is all. He's all in the Word. He's all in the works of God. He is all when it comes to the worship of God. We live in a day where there's a lot of debate, especially among preachers, about the subject of worship. Let me, let me just sum it all up. It's really easy. You ready? Here it is in a nutshell. This is what worship is all about. Christ is all. Christ is all. The songwriter got it right whenever he wrote the words to the little chorus that we sometimes sing. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. And we ought to be ashamed of the things that we've made it for what we've done. Jesus made it clear whenever he met the woman of Samaria there at the well in John chapter number 4. And, and in her confusion, the Lord, with great compassion, began to deal with her and speak to her and reveal to her. She said, oh, I know when the Messiah comes, that you know, then we'll worship God. But Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. Amen. In other words, Christ is saying... Christ is all. That's exactly what he's saying. Christ is all. You see, worship is the highest occupation of our heart. The most important thing that we can do. And that being the case, we better make sure that we get it right. And sadly, there's a lot of folks that have the wrong attitude about worship. Some treat worship like nap time. Really, I can remember very well certain ones in the past. I remember one fella that should have known better. And every service, all oh, the song service was exciting. You could tell that he loved that. But every time I'd start to preach, I'd look back and he laid his head on his wife's shoulder and went to sleep. Nap time. Now, I admit my preaching's not always the best, and I, I, I'll admit to that. And, you know, sometimes it might not be that interesting to people, but good night. It's not the time to say good night, not the time to take a nap. 
I mean, listen, this is serious business. Whenever we treat the worship of God like nap time, for some it's not nap time, it's entertainment time, show time. It's time to really put on the dog, you know, and, and to entertain people. For others, it's all about exercise. By that I mean, and there, though I've been in churches where literally during the service I've seen them stand up on top of the on top of the back of the pew and run, as it were, going from the top of one pew to the other to the other to the other. And while he was doing that, there were some others running around the building. Now the preacher's trying to preach, and here we got four or five guys running full speed around the building. And others are standing up and they're shouting and their hands are in the air and screaming and shouting. And well, there's more to it than that. But believe me, the worship of God is a whole lot more than just getting your exercise for the day or entertaining others. For some, it's like a college course. You need the information, so you just have to endure. You just have to sit there. You might even take notes, and you got to get the information. It's really important, da, da, da. And that's all there is to it. There are people like that. We see them every week, by the way. I don't see any this morning. But normally, normally there are folks like that. We can sing Amazing Grace, and they don't have a holy grunt. They don't do anything. Just sit there like a calf looking at a new gate. And, uh, you know, you, you can't get them excited about anything. And then you start preaching and you can't get any response from them. And, you know, uh, they might listen, but they're just gathering information. For others, you know, worship is more like a family reunion. Oh, it's so good to see everybody. Bless your cotton-picking heart. This is just so, so wonderful that you're, you know... And that's all it is for some people. Oh, I just love my church because all of my friends are there. Well, great, that's good. But that doesn't mean that we're there just to meet and greet our friends. We come together that we might worship the Lord. And Christ is all. It's all about Him. By the way, let me tell you, this worship of God is something that begins before you ever walk through the door into this building. Because worship is a lifestyle. It's something that we live throughout the week. It's having our mind focused upon Him. Christ is all. Not only that, Christ is all when it comes to the work of God. I'm not talking about the works of God, the creation and salvation. But I'm talking about the work of God, that which which we as Christians are involved in. Look at what Paul said in chapter 1 and verse number 29. He said, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. By the way, the worship of God and our work for God are closely related. In fact, One of the Greek words, one of the main words that is translated serve is also translated worship. It speaks about that of performing sacred service to God, rendering homage to God or service to God. And let me tell you, if we don't worship as we should, we won't work as we should. 
That makes what we do worthless. That's exactly what was going on in Malachi chapter number 1 with the children of Israel back in that day where they were giving God all of the leftovers. Oh, they were still meeting together. They were singing the songs. They were making the offerings and all of that. But God said, it's all noise to my ears. It's absolutely worthless to me. And even so, if what we do for God is not all about Christ being all, then it's useless. And when we speak about working for God, we need to remember, as Jesus said in John 15, without me, ye can do nothing. Christ is all. Christ is the message and Christ is the might of our mission. He, in other words, He is the means whereby we minister. What we do for Him must be done through Him. One of my favorite verses since the day that I first read it shortly after I was saved is what Paul said in Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God that worketh in you. I didn't just decide one day, well, you know, I, 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 think, I'll, I think I'll become a preacher, you know. Because I don't have to do anything. Uh, you know, I think I've become a preacher. It's just a good way to get rich. Boy, you're an idiot if you, you know, if you decide to preach because you think you're going to get rich doing it. That's not what it's about. I didn't, listen, I didn't decide to just become a preacher. I, it's not something that, that somebody else put in my mind. It's something I'd never thought of, something I really didn't want any part of. But it was God working in me both to will and to do. Because let me tell you, at that moment, I, no one ever felt more incapable than I did. Whenever I was convinced that God was calling me to preach, and I'll never forget the time. We were in a darkened auditorium of the church. It was up uh, close to midnight, I suppose, just Bev and I and my pastor and his wife all kneeling there in prayer. And it came my time to pray, and God was just dealing with my heart. And I remember turning to my pastor and saying, God is calling me to preach. I, I thought, surely if God ever made a mistake, this was it. Surely He's got the wrong person. Surely I'm having a dream. This, this, really, it couldn't be. It just couldn't be. And yet it was. And God wouldn't give up until I gave in. But it was God that worketh in me both to will. But then comes the question, how do I do well, in Philippians 4.13, I discovered the answer to that. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He, he enables me. Thank God for that. And He'll enable you too. God has a mission, a ministry, a work for every one of you. We don't all do the same thing. Thank God for that. Wouldn't it be horrible if, you know, if, Everybody felt called to, to play the piano. So we would assemble on Sunday morning, one after another, come up and play their little tune, and the next one would get up, and everybody would play their little tune and leave. And I don't think we'd really all want to say, well, God called me to preach, and we'd all get up and one after another after another, and then go home, there's no singing, no nothing else, just 
You know, no ushers because they're called to preach. You know, nobody opening the door, nobody turned on the lights. All we do is just, no, no. God has a different work for all of us to do, but he has some work for each of us to do. He's got a special plan for each and every one of you. And whatever it is that God wants you to do, God will enable you to do that. Christ is all. You can depend upon him. Christ is all. One more thing. Christ is all when it comes to the ways of life. And considering our current circumstances and the challenges that we face, there couldn't be a better place to close this message today because we all have questions, don't we? We have questions about why life is as it is. It just really doesn't make any sense to our natural reasoning. We're confused. Why would God allow something like this? And I'm not just talking about the virus, by the way. I'm talking about all the other nonsense that we see going on in the world today. I've written a few articles and, and I've commented. In fact, I think I did so just this morning on something. And I, I keep using the word insane and insanity. And it is. But let me tell you, folks, it's more than that. We, listen, we are excusing a lot of folks by saying, well, that's just insane. No, they're just downright evil, wicked, vile. And that's the motivation for what they're doing. That's the world that we live in. And we wonder, just like the ancient prophets did, they wondered, why is God allowing this to happen? And we especially wonder, when God allows what we call bad things to happen to what we call good people, and especially when it's us, all of a sudden we get the props knocked out from under us and we're flat on our back. Nothing makes any sense to us. After all, we love the Lord and we're serving the Lord and here we are smitten with some disease or going through some terrible difficulty. Let me assure you this morning, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else other than Christ is all, get this. That's no accident. Whatever it is, is not an accident. Everything in life is either appointed by the Lord or it is allowed by the Lord. It's never an accident. He either planned it or He permitted it. And so, in light of that, we need to face these challenges of life with the knowledge that Christ is all. Because knowing He is all assures us that in some way He is in all that is happening to us. He's in all. He's not some God that is afar off. He's not lost wandering around out in the woods somewhere. He hasn't lost track of you. He knows your address. He knows where you live and what you need. Christ is all. There are three things about that that ought to give you great comfort and courage this morning. Christ is all because He is controlling what happens. As I read in chapter 1, verse 16 a while ago, He not only created it all, by Him all things are created 
But he goes on and he tells us beyond God creating all of these things, he tells us here that, that he has dominion over all of these, and by him all things consist. Think about that. It's one thing to look up into the starry sky on a dark night and see the wonders of God's creation. As wonderful as that is, keep in mind that the same God who created the sun and the moon and the stars, the same God who set them in their orbit, keeps them there. Day after day, year after year, century after century, the same one who created them, by him all things consist. They got there by him and he is controlling all of those things. Because Christ is all Christ is controlling, as it were, whatever it is that's going on in your life. Not only is He controlling, but He's concerned. One thing to talk about the greatness of God's power. That's exciting, right? But let's suppose that God didn't have any real concern, no compassion for us. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. But he doesn't care. I'm glad we don't serve a God like that. Our God loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. He cares about you this morning like the old song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. Christ is all. And the one who is all, the one who can do all things, cares about you. And he's capable of meeting every need. who He who is all. Get this. There in our text, Paul says, Christ is all, but notice what he says next. And in all. He's in all those who trust Him. Let that sink in. Every child of God can have the assurance that they are indwelt by the Lord Himself. Because with Christ... We have all because Christ is all. Now if I have Christ who is all, therefore I have all that I need. Isn't that wonderful? I have all that I need. Oh, I may not have all that I want, but I have all that I need. And someday I'll be smart enough to realize that some of the things I wanted I really didn't need. And that's why Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Notice that word let. That means, that tells me that you have something to do with it. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. There are people right now that are troubled and upset and worried and in despair. I mean, the things of this world has just got them down and, and they have... All of this turmoil going on in their life. And Paul says to them, listen, if you have trusted Christ, Christ who is all is within you. And he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Rule, have control, dominate. It's possible. Peace is possible because Christ is all. Now let me wrap this up. Someday, someday all will discover that Christ is all. 
Someday, really. There will come a time out yonder in eternity when all shall stand before Him. And Paul speaks about it in Philippians chapter 2. says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. And those who are without Him will then realize that their rejection, by their rejection of Him, they have shortchanged themselves. Why would you do that? When Christ is all, offers all to those who trust Him, why would you be so foolish as to turn your back on what He has to offer? Without Christ, you are without the one thing that matters the most. That's a terrible, horrible position to be in. To be without Him, as the song says, without Him. Without Him. There's no forgiveness of sin. Without Him, there's no hope of heaven. Without Him, there's no chance of a reunion with your loved ones. Without Him, there's eternal condemnation. But with Him, knowing that Christ is all, we have everything we need. Is Christ all to you this morning? Or is He just a nobody? Or a someone? Or maybe He's a somebody. Might even be something special. But whenever you realize Christ is all, that's all that will matter in your life. Nothing else will be so important as that fact. Would you trust Him today as your Lord and Savior? And if you're here and you already have, you already have, but some way your attention has been diverted away from, from Christ who is all. All you can think about, it might be something good, something innocent, it's not sinful. But your mind sure isn't focused upon Christ. Your life sure isn't dedicated to Christ. Would you this morning, by the grace of God, turn to Him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the things that I've done, for the way that I've made my worship, the, all, of the, all of the neglect. And Lord, I come to You the best way I know how this morning, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just rededicate myself to Your service and depend on You to do what You want to do in my life. Let Him use you that way this morning. I promise you'll never regret it. Would you do that? Let's stand together. Our Father, how we thank You for Your loving kindness. How we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the Word of God that reveals to us the great things about the Word who is all, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who reveals to us, the sinful man, the very likeness of the Godhead. And Lord, we're so thankful for that and for the privilege to be able to trust you and to enjoy the peace that comes from it. And I pray this morning for someone that might be here in this service today or someone watching online, someone that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. Lord, may this be the day, may this be the time they put their faith and trust in Him. 
For we ask it in Jesus' name and pray that you'll be glorified in all that's done. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. And if you're watching online, please join us again tonight, 6 o'clock Sunday evening. God bless.